We never step into the presence of God boasting about ourselves. Whenever we walk into the presence of God, woe is me, the reason why we bow our heads when we pray or we get on our knees when we pray, it is visibly and physically a reminder that we're to humble ourselves in the very presence of God. Hello and welcome to Living a Legacy with author and Bible teacher Crawford Loretz. Good to be with you again as we continue in our new series, Awestruck. Now, when you think of the fear of God, what comes to mind? Does it mean being afraid of God because He has the power to take you out from messing up? Well, that's not what the Bible emphasizes, as we'll hear in part two of Crawford's message, Awestruck, the fear of God. If you're a new listener to Living a Legacy, let's fill you in on our speaker. Crawford has been in pastoral and organizational roles for nearly 50 years. He recently retired as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia, where he served for 15 years. His books include Unshaken, Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, A Passionate Commitment, and Leadership as an Identity. Crawford now heads the organization Beyond Our Generation, which seeks to mentor Christian leaders. This program is heard on hundreds of radio stations and online. At the end of our time today, I'll have information on how to download many of Crawford's messages for free. Let's learn more about the fear of God. Our text is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Here's Crawford Loritz on living a legacy. He is there. He is in control. Pain, tragedies, blessing, whatever. God is on his throne and he is in control. He's beyond where we are. He is exalted. It says the train, or, or actually, uh, it could have been tra- translated, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Implies royalty and majesty, but also implies that he cannot be contained. I think there's a, a little bit of a play here. If you understand the temple in the Old Testament, the presence of God, the, the very presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. But here he says, Isaiah says, when I see this vision of, of our great God high and lifted up on, on the throne and his train filling the temple, it spills over outside of the Holy of Holies. It's in the area where the Gentiles come. It's everywhere. The whole idea is that you cannot contain God. You cannot restrict God. An interesting applicational point is that, you know, don't treat God as if he doesn't know what's going on. I run into adults who come across as if God didn't know what they did in that motel room. Seriously? You you think God wasn't in that conference room when you told that lie? You think God wasn't there when you messed up? He's everywhere. He's transcendent. And Isaiah sees this incredible, enormous vision of our great God. So what does he see? First, he sees the Lord. What does he see? Secondly, he sees worship. Now, can you imagine? Isaiah stumbles into the temple. He's there to mourn the death of Uzziah. His heart is broken, and all of a sudden, he's engulfed in this massive vision of God just as you're peering over the, the Grand Canyon or watching these glaciers or a little kid at Niagara Falls, your mouth is wide open. And oh boy, he's getting more than he ever realized. And in the second part of this vision, he sees, he sees worship. Where do you get that from? Well, look at verse, verse, three, uh, verse uh, 2. 
Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, seraphim, they were specific angelic beings who are ardent and zealous for the Lord. Again, I don't want to play too much with imagery here, but I think there's some interesting applications to our own worship as you look at these seraphims and what they did. He says, first of all, that, 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 that they had two wings that covered their face. The import of that is that they, 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 it, it, it is a reference to humility. Even though they're in the presence of the Lord, is a reference to humility. We never step into the presence of God boasting about ourselves. We never step into the presence of God bragging about our accomplishments. We never step into the presence of God stroking who we are. But whenever we walk into the presence of God, woe is me, the reason why we bow our heads when we pray or we get on our knees when we pray, it is, it is visibly and physically a reminder that we're to humble ourselves in the very presence of God. Second, it said the wings are covering their feet. That's an implication of service to God. When you're in his presence, you're humble. When you're in his presence, you serve. And again, with two wings, they flew. They're flying back and forth. And this is, this is connected to verse 3. They're flying back and forth, and what are they doing? Well, this is ongoing activity in proclaiming God's holiness and glory. They're proclaiming his glory. Verse 3 says there's a threefold repetition of holy, 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 holy. They're flying back and forth and saying holy, 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 holy. Listen, listen, listen to me, listen to me. The purpose of your life and the purpose of my life is to glorify God and declare his holiness. That's the only reason why we're alive, is to glorify God and to declare his holiness. God does not exist to make us happy. God does not exist to take our list of things to be accomplished in life and say, God, do that. We exist for his glory and to declare his holiness. And the fear of the Lord has a way of recalibrating our lives and getting us back in line with what he wants to do in and through you and through me. In this world, he wants to declare his, his glory. He indeed saw, saw worship. So what did he see? He saw the Lord. What did he see? He saw worship. What did he see? He saw power and glory. That's what verse 4 is all about. He says, and the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Can you imagine this? Isaiah's there. And all of a sudden, he is feeling this shaking. Smoke is filling the place. Often God will reveal himself 
to his people through a cloud. Cloud hanging over the tent of meeting in the wilderness, a cloud leading the children of Israel by day and a pillar of fire by night. All of this is part of the very presence of our great God. I think that there are three times in my whole life in which I experienced revival. And all three of them parallel what I just said to you. See the Lord, worship, power, and glory. The first was when I was about 18 years old, freshman in college. It began innocently. We, uh, several of us, about maybe three, four of us, Beginning of the school semester, beginning of the semester, we start praying every night together. Just praying. Nobody had any visions about outreach or anything like that. We just start praying. Well, that prayer meeting grew. Grew from three to 15 to 30 to 100 to over 200 people, students. Nobody organized it. No flyers were passed out. None of that stuff. There was no president of it. And we began going out. This is downtown Philadelphia. Back in 68, we began going downtown Philadelphia, JFK Square, where a lot of gangs at that time hung out. And over the next year and a half, I don't even know the numbers. I think conservatively over 200 or so of those gang members gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. It was a movement of the Spirit of God. Yeah, to God be the glory. The second experience happened in 1995. Karen and I were on staff with uh, Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. We had staff training there at Colorado State University, there in Moby Gym, and there was, I don't know, like 5,000 or so plus U.S. staff members there. And it was just a regular staff training meeting, a major meeting, one of the plenary sessions. And Nancy Lee DeMoss Wagamuth was speaking. It was just, you know, it had a lot of speakers there, so we're just sitting there. And then she gets to a point in her message when she begins to contrast proud people with broken people. Nobody organized this. Nothing. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, it wasn't out of control wasn't an outbreak of emotion. But you started hearing people sniffle and weep. And by the time she finished, there was no altar call given. Nobody asked for anybody to do this. I kid you not. People just started walking forward to confess sin. And that went on for the next three days. The third experience I had with revival actually has to do with the Promise Keepers movement. I think we, we look back and see what happened in the 90s and, and early part of the 2000s. It was a move of the Spirit of God. I mean, you know, come to think about it, I mean, there, there's, it it's a football coach that gives leadership. A football coach who never went to a seminary or a Bible college or a Christian college or nothing like that, just had a vision, and God blessed it and anointed it. 
And the filling up of these stadiums was not uh, the product of some mastermind marketers. And there's some smart people there. But I wish all of you, I spoke at a number of them, I wish all of you could have been in the prayer meetings. Then you would sense the reason why God was working. In those early years, when they were filling up the stadiums, those prayer meetings, you sensed the very presence of God in God's hand. Now, what, what well, the reason why I describe this, I'm not saying, uh, you know, these things cannot be orchestrated. You cannot plan a visitation of the Spirit of God. It, it, you can't plan for it. You can pray for it. Once you taste of the very presence of God, there's a God awareness that will never leave you, that will never leave you. There's a fear of God that's written over your soul. And all of those experiences that I'm talking about there, it was, you, there was this healthy fear of our great God and a powerful sense of his ability to do anything and everything he willed. And Isaiah sees this as he walks into the temple. A little bit of danger, though, even as I share these, this stuff with you, to experience the power and presence of God does not necessarily mean that you're going to be protected from pride and from sin. Look at the children of Israel, if you will. For 40 years, think about this. They knew the power and presence and provision of God. Can you imagine, for 40 years, God led them with a cloud. They saw the cloud move, and they followed. God led them by a pillar of fire. They saw the pillar of fire, God, and, and, and they moved. For 40 years, God fed them with manna from heaven for 40 years. But think about it. Despite the fact that they are recipients of God's supernatural intervention on their behalf, they still complained and moaned and groaned and rebelled. The work of God in our midst is not a guarantee that everybody will respond to God. Sin is stubborn. So what does Isaiah see? He saw the Lord. He saw worship. He saw power. What did he feel? What happened to him? What happened to him when he saw this? The only sane thing that would happen to any of us, as I said earlier, he didn't pause and say, you know, God, okay, that, that's really great. Let me tell you about all the things that I accomplished, and, you know, all the stuff that Uzziah did, at least part of that stuff. Those were my proposals, and he enacted that stuff, you know. And, and I had to tell you, I'm president of the Prophets Club and this kind of thing, and I'm also head of the seminary over here. Do you know how much money we raised last year? Unbelievable. Did you see that new building that we built over there? What does he say? What does he feel? What does he feel when he sees the Lord and he sees worship and he sees his power and glory? What does he, what does he feel? Hmm. Verse 5, he says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Two things that he felt and two things we, we should always feel when we come into the presence of God, always feel. We should always feel, number one, unworthy. I did not say worthless. There's a difference between being unworthy and worthless. We're not worthless, but we should always feel unworthy. Unworthy. 
Isaiah did not project on anybody else. He did not project on those rebellious folks in Judah who are not responding to God and all this stuff. You don't hear him blaming anybody else. You don't hear him projecting nonsense. He just draws a circle around himself and he says, Whoa! What was me? He's acutely aware of his own mess. The, the authentic fear of God will forever protect you from hypocrisy. It will flush self-righteousness right out of your system. Because you realize the only person that, that I have control over in terms of responses is this old boy right here. And he ain't looking so good right now. The amount of arrogance among Christians is appalling. The self-righteousness, sad. The power games that we play. Have you looked in the mirror lately? When you see the Lord, you'll see your faults and failures in high definition. God, have mercy on me. Secondly, not only felt unworthy, he felt unclean. The expression unclean lips here is a reference uh, to, to the expression of my life. Unclean lips are the product of an unclean heart. In Isaiah's case, he's saying that uh, he could not faithfully preach the word of the Lord unless he was prepared and cleansed by God. So what did he see? He saw the Lord. He felt unworthy and unclean. Thirdly, what did he experience? It's almost as if God says, that's all I've been waiting for. Now notice in the text, I love the passage here. God doesn't tweak his nose. God doesn't rub his face in his failure and his guilt and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, stay there for a while. You see that? Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're a mess. No, he doesn't do that. The text says, as soon as he confesses this in verse, verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having... Uh, in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah experienced two things. Number one, he experienced cleansing. Seraphim. By the way, technically the word seraphim means burning one. And this seraphim, this burning one, had taken the hot coal from the altar. In the Bible, fire is a picture of purification. And he figuratively speaking comes and he touches his tongue, purifying him, thus purifying his life, cleanses him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses him. By the way, we need to realize the work that God has to do in us before we rush out the door and talk about the work he needs to do through us. Some of us are not seeing the fruit that we want to see in our lives because there's too much stuff in our lives. So God cleanses him. But the next thing that he does, and cleansing always precedes calling. Cleansing precedes clarity. He cleanses him, and then he says here, listen to this line. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who, go, who will go for us? 
By the way, the emphasis, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, I take that to be a historical present. It wasn't just that God began to say this. God had always been saying this, but Isaiah was not in a position to hear the calling. Once again, once again, there are messages, there are things that God has for us. For the intimate, hidden things of the Lord belong to those who fear him. And maybe the issue is that we've not cultivated intimacy with God. No, he's speaking. I'm just not close enough to hear. He calls Isaiah. And by the way, when he raises the question, who will go for us? Um, he didn't ask the question because he didn't know who would respond. Now, that's not the reason. God didn't raise that. It's the same, you know, he's not asking. He didn't ask the question because he didn't know who would respond. He asked the question because he was giving Isaiah an opportunity to serve. And fourthly and finally, what did he see? What did he feel? What did he experience? What did he do? What did he do? The text says, Isaiah responded by saying, here am I, send me. Here am I is a statement of submission. Statement of submission. By the way, when God reveals himself to you, and gives you an opportunity, no is not a good answer. Here I am. Submission. He says, send me. Availability. Submission and availability. When you see the Lord, when you cultivate intimacy with Him, submission, availability. What do we see? What do we feel? What have we experienced? What are we doing? Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, a powerful message and one that should make us think about our own view of God. He's not a good luck charm. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's the almighty creator God in whom we owe our lives, in whom we should forever be in awe. Well, thanks so much, Crawford, for painting that picture for us. We're at the very beginning of a new series called Awestruck, and today's text was Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, if you joined us partway through today's message, hear all of it on our website. Stream it anytime at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Looking for a good way to fill time while on a road trip or maybe during your daily commute? Well, you can download many of Crawford's messages for free. Check out the selection by clicking on the MP3 link near the upper right-hand corner of our webpage. That'll take you to Moody Audio. It's always good to hear how God is using these messages in your life. Take a moment to let us know what you're learning. Look for the Contact Us link on the website. Well, next week, we'll look at the blessing of fear. Hope you'll be with us again. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for joining us today. 
This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.